0: Maybe you've heard of edge computing or fog computing or whatever. These aren't exactly the same thing, but it doesn't really matter for our chat today because for many of you, edge sounds to your engineering ears like marketing nonsense and you sweep it into the garbage like crumbs from your lunch. But let's get serious about edge computing for a moment. If we strip away the hype, what problems are we trying to solve and how might we get that done? Our sponsor today is Juniper Networks, and we're going to see if we can answer those edge computing questions in a discussion about Contrail Edge Cloud. Our guest today is Nick Davey, Product Line Manager at Juniper. Nick, you know all the things about uh, edge computing and edge cloud and so on. Welcome to the Packet
1: Pushers. Uh, Thanks so much, Ethan. Thanks, Greg. It's real great to be here.
0: Now, Nick, um, l- let's just jump right into this with a definition of of edge cloud. Which, uh, <laughs> I mean, both of those terms are loaded with um, with with marketing buzz, as I mentioned at the top of the show here. So, so maybe to get some reality around this, could you define that term edge cloud for us? I mean, maybe we got to
1: take it one word at a time: edge and then cloud. Yeah, uh, certainly. Um, and really, especially in this case, some things make more sense backwards. So, um, I think it makes more sense to just. Um, Get a clear and crisp definition of of what a cloud is in this case uh, clouds are orchestrated sets of compute storage and networking uh, so we take a pile of resources and we combine them together into a pool that we can then interact with at a high level through a ui or an api without bothering with any of the details of the individual server storage or networking components that make up that cloud um, that makes it really easy to programmatically interact with that infrastructure as well so either through that ui or through api calls we can tell our cloud, I want 10 copies of a virtual machine, and it will just go and create all of the compute infrastructure, make sure the the appropriate storage, network, and security policies get attached. And that's all performed through a single. Command or single interaction with the orchestrators,
0: so, and and that sounds like a pretty standard definition of cloud to me. It's uh you know it, it's that that self service ability, uh, the programmatic capability, and and it's all the things. It's not uh, just compute. It's all of the components of the IT stack brought together so that you're consuming those resources in, in an automated way. And it's true that that definition of cloud is true whether we are talking about public, uh, private, hybrid, whatever. All of those aspects that you just defined, Nick, to me are are what make up cloud so that that
1: sounded familiar cool uh yeah so for edge cloud we're just pushing that to the furthest reaches of where we can stash or store a server so to a network platform or service provider that'll represent like the furthest reaches of their compute environment small dense deployments in central offices network aggregation points or local data centers more broadly the edge refers to the last place where you can deploy uh orchestrated compute Uh, And by the way, to the audience, that shouldn't be taken as a challenge, but there are real examples of retail organizations stashing a couple Intel NUCs in a closet, running a Kubernetes cluster, and then using that to extend their compute footprint from their data centers directly to the stores. So it really,
0: again, is pushing that compute as far out to the edge, whatever the edge of your particular network is. You gave examples of a telco maybe trying to push compute all the way down to a central office as close to their customers as they could get where they would have some kind of a footprint. uh, Or enterprises pushing a Kubernetes cluster all the way out to some kind of an edge closet even. And yeah, I've heard there, there's actually um, a how-to on building a Kubernetes cluster on Raspberry Pi. So you, you can deploy a Kubernetes cluster on some pretty small footprints if you need to.
1: Yeah, and you can run them everywhere. So the the, the real enhancements are the thing that Edge Cloud adds to, instead of just stretching the compute uh, out to uh, dusty old closets. It's it's really to add awareness to the compute platform that they are deployed uh, out in these uh, far reaches of the deployment. Um, the edge compute needs to, or the edge compute platforms need to be aware of the local infrastructure, so they can make use of, say, localized storage, or make sure that all the objects that they're going to use as part of a deployment are um, brought down to that site before use. It also means that the scheduler needs to, to have some awareness about uh, clustering VMs or containers that are part of a single deployment. Of course, central to Juniper and central to Contrail is we need ubiquitous network and security, um, but also localized resources. So you're not backhauling all your traffic to a data center or spinning everything through a public cloud before it goes out to the internet or out to other uh, microservices in a deployment. Instead, the the right traffic can be broken out locally at those edge sites and traffic that does need to move around uh, the compute infrastructure can be directly sent to other compute nodes in data centers or in public clouds.
0: Now, you just mentioned Juniper's got an offering here in this edge cloud space. You mentioned Contrail. A lot of people that have been paying attention to networking think of Contrail mostly as an SDN solution. I and mean, Maybe they're not associating with a cloud solution. So, So help clarify what this is here. We've got Juniper, Contrail, edge cloud as a product name. So what is it actually, is, is it a product or a suite of products? Is it a hardware, software? We've been defining cloud as something that does uh, compute. It's a platform upon which to run compute. So do I do that as well? Uh,
1: give us a sense of what Contrail Edge Cloud actually is. Contrail Edge Cloud is a solution offering from Juniper. It's a software-based solution uh, leveraging Contrail SDN, our virtual and container firewall appliances, as well as some software from our partners, Red Hat in this case, to make the distribution of compute and storage easier across all of these edge sites. Uh, It's purely software and runs on a variety of server infrastructure. And um, really, we don't have any firm opinions about what that infrastructure should be as long as it is uh, like generally available x86 compute. Hmm.
2: So this means that you're sort of talking about a mini data center here. So this is actually a platform that, creates like a, a container orchestration, some VM orchestration, so you can put some network functions, firewalls like the SRX, a virtual SRX or uh, other virtual appliances into it, and then network them together, plus the Contrail automation and orchestration functions come together so you can say, well, if I need to instantiate a firewall, I also need to be able to add and delete rules from it, but I also need to integrate with my Amdocs, say, for example, so that I can do my billing management and things like asset management, stuff like that.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: And so this is this is the sort of the, how the edge computing platform from C- Com- Juniper comes together. It's a data center in a box.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so it provides that localized compute networking and storage for each of those edge sites, giving you programmatic control for the workloads. Uh, so like oh. you mentioned, we can use network service functions. Those workloads could be just uh, IT workloads or supporting services for a particular site. And-
2: so, so would you say this is like a hyper-converged platform a software-only hyperconverged platform, but specifically designed for networking-centric operations. Uh,
1: I, I think edge compute lends itself really well to hyperconverged because mm. uh, these sites are going to be fairly dense. They're going to be mainly um, compute and storage, not a lot of control infrastructure. You're, you're dealing with uh, like a constrained physical deployment. You don't have a lot of room to throw gear around. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, The hyperconverged definitely works in this scenario. You can definitely use dedicated storage. The real important part here is that you need to localize the resources that need to be run at that particular site while still not losing any access or control back to the central resources.
2: It's it's like a specific data center that would suit uh, telco or service provider operations where... Once upon a time, they would have had a rack full of firewalls and IDSs and proxy servers and 3GPPs and gateways and, you know, all those load balancers and radius servers and all that sort of stuff. What we're trying to do is move away from this, the, the, the idea that each one of those boxes was a separate physical appliance and turn them into software or virtual appliances. And then once you've done that, you've got to herd them like cats. And mm-hmm. that's where yep. the Contrail Edge platform comes in as it gives you that herding capability.
1: Yeah, exactly correct. Uh, This lets you take the walls off the data center so you can start distributing the parts of the application infrastructure out to the edge, um, maybe the user plane for a particular service, like where all of the packets get encapsulated and decapsulated from the users. Mm. Maybe we want that right at the edge of the network. But the radius servers, we don't need to burn expensive uh, compute at the edge of our network to run a radius server. So we can centralize that back in our data centers. And SDN Mm. makes it so that we don't need to do any configuration or... Uh, design work to the network in between those two components. The SDN acts as an overlay that provides policy, security, and control of that traffic, making sure everything's knitted together, but only the right application flows are permitted right. between. But well, the, the key user.
2: part, I think the key extension here is SDN is, is a basis on which to build automation and orchestration, which is this, you know, click a button, several things happen, automation. Orchestration is um, the capability to bring multiple automations into a sequence to deliver a service. So provisioning a firewall is part of a bigger picture of I have a new customer coming on board and they need a firewall, they bought a firewall service, we'll give them these default set of rules that have been, you know, whatever, right? That orchestration is much more complicated than automation. And I think the third part about this, you alluded to it, which was there's a range of third-party products that Juniper has, but the big one, of course, is appformix, Formix, which is analytics and visibility-type tooling to tell you how it's all performed.
1: Yeah, exactly, because once you have this compute infrastructure orchestrated, well, then you can use your analytics to perform closed-loop operations on that infrastructure. You can say that if a particular workload is being overutilized, you can scale that out, and SDN, the, the SDN layer will be responsible for load balancing and ensuring that the new instances that we're spinning up to handle that additional load have the same uh, network connectivity and okay. security policies applied to them. Uh, it's also. So if your three G
2: gateway, your three G PP gateway isn't holding up, there's too much data coming in because I, I always imagine this when um you know, you have the sports stadium and all of a sudden you've got fifty thousand people turning up in a location that normally has a thousand people that live nearby, that you need to re-architect that node. You don't want to have that node fully loaded for peak load all day.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, the the response from the providers has typically been to roll out gear to stadium events to react to that burst and load. And by deploying these edge infrastructure sites, you've got kind of the temporary infrastructure already ready to roll in all of these geographies. All you need to do is spin up the right set of workloads to handle the load for that particular day.
0: So Nick, as I was going through all the material on uh, this product on Contrail Edge Cloud and where edge computing broadly fits in, it seems like everybody's very excited about 5G and service providers and the use cases there where you can leverage a platform like this to deliver services and, and monetize the edge of your network more than maybe you could have before. Okay, but let's broaden this out here. Now, the all there's all this buzzword excitement about IoT, augmented reality, virtual reality being potential use cases, which sound a I mean, I IoT's kind of on the ground. We're, we're familiar with that one. AR, VR feels a little bit off into the future, and we have no idea what the consumer uptake on that's going to be because of the, the requirements are. So give us some more use cases where edge computing is going to gonna come into its own and uh, people are going to find practical uses for it.
1: So outside of the service provider space, there's an edge compute use case where you need to stash a bunch of computes that you want to orchestrate. Um You're going to want to orchestrate those computes because you don't want to manage three or four servers scattered across each one of your, say, branch offices or have, um, you know, a a managed set of infrastructure that's a a compute attached to every pole in, uh, say, a manufacturing facility. So orchestrating that compute uh, eases the operational burden of managing a, a large distributed fleet of compute resources And it gives you an easy-to-work-with platform to manage all of the the infrastructure, right? Because each compute is going to have the same config, same standard deployment. Uh, Replacing those nodes is going to be easier because it's just going to be commodity hardware running the same configuration, hopefully Mm -hmm. through some sort of orchestrated node deployment platform, like a a ZTP uh, platform for managing compute bring up. So once you have all that infrastructure in place, what can you do with it? Well, like we talked about, there's been retail deployments where... Uh, Say a chain restaurant will deploy a couple servers required to either run the restaurant or the intelligent signage or the supply chain management platform for that particular location and then call home back to corporate or back to the central data centers to aggregate all that data or to pull down the day's ads or to pull down the the videos that they want to roll in, in the actual locations. Um, Building safety and security is another kind of interesting use case where you've got a whole bunch of sensors spread about a physical location, and you need to aggregate all of that data because you don't want to be streaming, say, 100 or 200 cameras worth of data up into a WAN or even across a a private link to a data center. What you're really interested in is just the interesting parts of that data. And um, that's going to be a common theme for edge compute use cases is there's Mm. um, going to be parts of the data that you're collecting in your compute that is interesting, but the vast majority of it is not. So like in um, in the security use case or in um, like uh, PVR deployment, you're only interested in, say, motion or faces or something interesting. You're not interested in collecting a whole bunch of frames. of, of You're not
2: interested man, in recording you know. a 4K data stream at 8 megabits per second and uploading it to the cloud when it doesn't change for 23.5 uh, hours a day. Right. that's a beautiful stairwell
1: Mm, so crisp too
2: (laughs) look at the light graduated across the as it 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 totally elates beautifully as you know through the through the frosted
1: glass or or even in um more hands-off facility watching the robots dance right that's only interesting for so long Um, really what you're interested in is where the humans are whether everyone's safe and whether everyone in the room is supposed to be there
2: but I think it's more complicated in that, too, in that, yes, you might have a camera system, but right next to it would be a door lock system. And then another one, which is a monitoring the temperatures and the air conditioning. And air conditioning is getting much more – and these systems are getting far more complicated because today you just have a lock on a door and it even opens or shuts. Um, now that sensors are really cheap, you're starting to see locks emerge that say person approached door, person unlocked door, person went through door. And so you're actually seeing did they penetrate, not just – did the door lock open or whatever. And it's much more sophisticated than it ever was. And, you know, that's then triggering into power systems, to turn on the lights, maybe power up the air conditioning, or vice versa, turn it off if there's nobody in the building. Whereas up until now, that's always been a very custom manual process, you know, usually on simple things like timer switches or something.
1: Yeah, and so let's kind of go back to one of the buzzwords that comes up in the service provider use case, uh, which is network slicing or or more broadly multi-tenancy. I think we can all understand why it makes sense in a service provider environment to have strong multi-tenancy because if we have two customers with opposing interests on the same service provider, we need to make sure that those two organizations have no connectivity whatsoever while sharing that common platform. Building security, the example you just gave, is a perfect example of where strong multi-tenancy is very important because you're going to have all of these disparate systems managing your physical plant, and you're going to want some type of common connectivity. Um, You want your locks and your temperature sensors to talk to a building management system, but you really don't want anyone from the guest Wi-Fi ever getting to any of that infrastructure. So this is uh, another example of where SDN, with its awareness of all of the flows and all of the endpoints and all of the workloads, can provide a really easy mechanism to both uh, segregate networks as well as to enforce policy at every point of connection in the network.
0: Yeah, you said a lot of things there. So I'm hearing some some themes as we talk about all the different use cases for edge computing. So one, the NFV, VNF model, that that's becoming mature. So we can leverage that now. And we've got the, the SDN and the orchestration platforms that we're comfortable with as an industry now to be able to leverage that out at the edge and have it not be a, oh, a traumatic deal. You talked about the you're putting the resources where they need to be which sounds somewhat like a content delivery network it, you know a little different application but kind of uh, if you take a step back some parallels there where you're putting uh, items or compute out towards where it needs to be instead of keeping it all centralized because reasons now there there are a bunch of reasons here nick um some of which you mentioned but one one which didn't come up yet i don't think But that is latency-sensitive applications where you don't have the time to take your data, push it out to a cloud that's some latency away from you, do the computation, bring it back, and then make decisions. You need to know now so you do that work locally uh, in your edge computing cluster, and and, and then you can
1: proceed in a timely fashion. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, latency is one of the main motivators for edge cloud deployments. It's also important to bring the compute as close to the users as possible because there are more and more uh, use cases and more and more services that require uh, bespoke hardware to deliver a particular service. great example of this is uh, AI and machine learning where you might be leveraging connectivity into, say, Google Cloud and making use of their TPUs to offload your machine learning. A more fun example is all of the new platforms and services being launched by, uh, say, Google or Microsoft, where you can stream high-quality 4K video games without having any uh, robust console platforms in your house. So you're offloading the GPU into the cloud. And we've seen a lot of really fun examples of that in places like Hacker News, where people will rent like a GPU AWS instance and run Assassin's Creed at full settings, and everything works wonderfully because they're within five milliseconds of the data center. Edge Compute takes that concept and brings it to the masses where we can hopefully all one day be less than five milliseconds to our GPU uh, Mm. without having to have it in the house, without having to go and buy hardware. uh, Every time we want to get a new console, we can instead um, consume these through subscription models.
0: And and some of those subscription models are actually out there. I'm trying to remember who, but there's at least a couple of services that are doing this. Uh, where, where they're doing that compute exactly as you describe it, rendering the graphics and then pushing a completed rendered image to you in a, as a stream that you would consume more like you consume Netflix rather than you on your local gaming rig that's uh, filled to the max with GPU and, and, and texel rendering. Uh, it's already been done for you. You just subscribe to the service that does it.
1: Yeah, and, and like you said, there's real world examples of this right now. Google ran a trial this summer uh, with Ubisoft or Activision uh, showing off the brand new Assassin's Creed played through a Chrome browser, and that really is uh, well within our reach now as a like a, a mainstream service. Uh, video game streaming services are interesting when I don't need to go out and buy content to consume it. It's even more awesome when I don't need to buy hardware to consume the latest See, titles. And, and-
2: unique selling value about that, the people who might sit there and say, but why would I do that? Why wouldn't I just log it on my own computer? And the trick here is that you can't do it over the top. You couldn't say do the GPU compute back in an AWS cloud in Virginia when you live in London, for example. Or you know, in the case of Europe, most of AWS clouds are located in Ireland or Germany, for example. You wouldn't be able to play those games in London because the latency is too low. And so it's a possibility for service providers to put those functions close to me. So literally put them in the closet at the end of the street so with the gameplay, the game processing is being done there. That's the long-term vision, isn't
1: it? Yeah, exactly. And again, tying back to the, the SP concepts, this is an example where adding multi-tenancy to an infrastructure suddenly means that you know, the infrastructure running the 3GPP data plane can be shared with, say, Microsoft or Activision or Sony or who, whoever wants to offer services and they can spin up a, a workload at that edge compute platform only when a subscriber starts uh you know loading a game.
0: Mm. Well, Nick, let's move the conversation along from the value of edge computing, because I think we've made a pretty reasonable case. There are business use cases for that, a lot of them that apply. Sure, the service providers that that they get very excited in, in that space for their use cases, but also enterprise. There's a lot of ways when you when you think about this, you can make use of such a platform. Now let's move it to an engineering-oriented part of the conversation. I want to know, well, let's use Contrail Edge Cloud as an example since that's, that's your product. You know things about it. Um, I want to drill in, first of all, into some architecture here. We've mentioned what's happening centrally, and we've mentioned what's happening locally or at the edge. So explain that part of the architecture for us. Where, where is the management plane? Where is the control plane? Who's talking to what? Help me understand that.
1: Uh, Sure. So Contrail adopts a a typical decentralized architecture or a distributed architecture where we have a a control plane, uh, a cluster of servers that are responsible for the configuration and policy. And then we have a distributed data plane, uh, either kernel modules or user line processes that run on the compute and act as the switching and routing and security enforcement point for that particular compute. And in an edge compute environment, we're going to have uh, you know the the central office the the closet at the back of the restaurant, the um, you know dusty data center in the warehouse there isn 't room to jam a whole bunch of uh, controller infrastructure, so we want to make the best use of that edge real estate and we want to deliver compute out of that and that means we need to centralize our controllers so one of the key concepts for edge computers is centralizing the control and policy management of an SDN and orchestrated compute environment in a larger data center, and that's going to connect to all of those distributed nodes through uh, either over-the-top connectivity or private WAN links.
0: So the central control, you said controller then, when I think about that in an SDN context, what I think of is there's magical software running on the controller that I am using, that I am interacting with as an operator. It's maybe where I set policy and, and so on, and then instructions are sent from that central controller down to
1: the distributed nodes telling them what to do.
0: Is that about right?
1: Yep, spot on. And this is uh, on that controller, we also interface with the computer orchestrator. So this is where we'll talk to, say, OpenStack or monitor Kubernetes so that when new compute workloads are being scheduled at a particular site, we'll make sure that when a VM is scheduled on a node, that all of the network and security policies are pre-provisioned on that compute node. And so when the VM plugs into the network, everything is all there waiting for it.
0: All right. So then, when I do a contrail edge cloud deployment, then I've got the central component with um, you know my controller, and I've got my distributed nodes that are uh, around. Um, but I just had another thought here, though. If I'm particularly if I'm an enterprise or a service provider of any size, I'm probably not all Juniper infrastructure. I've probably got a bunch of different uh, mix and match devices that are out there. How much does that matter in this setting? Because we're talking about VNFs running on x86 in a lot of cases. So, does it matter if my network infrastructure isn't all
1: Juniper necessarily? And not particularly. So, one of the huge benefits of Contrail being an overlay SDN solution is it provides a separation of concerns between the overlay network where VMs and containers plug in and the underlay network, uh, which is used by all of the computes to uh, communicate with one another. And uh, this is where we plug our our gateways into as well to get traffic into and out of those overlays. Uh, When traffic's in an overlay, it just looks like a UDP packet or a VXLAN packet. So the network delivering traffic for the overlays really just needs to be concerned with getting packets from one end of the network to the other as quickly and reliably as possible.
0: Yeah, you answered most of the questions right there as soon as you said overlay because, because of exactly what you said. You're not actually programming... The fibs of a bunch of switches and routers along the path. You're shoving packets into an overlay, and and therefore don't need to care so much what the underlay is. So that that makes sense. Uh, that that it kind of doesn't matter if it's Juniper or not Juniper uh, all underneath. Um, when I stand up a distributed node, an edge location, do I have to do some kind of configuration so that it phones home or is there a, like a zero touch process? How does that distributed node get stood up and connected to the, uh, well, not the mesh, but the the spider that is the control edge cloud and control system?
1: At mesh isn't the worst term, um, but uh, yeah, you'd have some sort of like provisioning or call home action that needs to take place. And this is generally dependent on the type of hardware you're using. So if you're using COTS hardware, uh, just taking a server out of a box and throwing it up into a rack, uh, there's going to be no call home other than the the typical ZTP that the server goes through and it boots for the first time. And so we'll make use of that ZTP to image the server, load a common image, common config, and part of that configuration will be the location of the controllers. Uh, The node will call home, register itself with the controllers, and then it's ready to take workloads from the compute orchestrator. Uh, There's something I want to actually go back to on the network hardware piece because uh, a lot of folks... Uh, Like you said, overlay gets us out of a lot of sticky spots when it comes to uh, interoperability, but one of the critical parts of an overlay is it is a tunnel. So you need to get traffic into and out of those overlay tunnels using either the compute nodes where the traffic originates or gateway devices to get traffic in and out. Uh, And this is the most important part about Contrail being um, an established open source SDN solution is that we've adopted open source and open standards for our overlays. We use EVPN and VXLAN or BGP and MPLS over UDP as control and data plane protocols. And this gives us interoperability with a wide variety of vendors. So anyone who's implementing those sets of protocols can act as a gateway to get traffic into and out of a contrail overlay.
0: The gateway functionality uh, being key there in this setting, because what you're talking about is you need to be able to, at that gateway, uh, take some traffic, encapsulate it in a way that is going to be meaningful to the, uh, the contrail overlay and send it on its way.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then in specifically for an edge compute use case, you're asking the question, which gateway, right? Because there's going to be some traffic that you want to locally break out and service or maybe uh, just expose to a local internet connection. And there's going to be other traffic that's going to be going between the virtual machines or between microservices in a deployment. And you want that to stay within the overlay. So with mm-hmm. an edge compute deployment, you can select a set of local gateways that'll provide that breakout for a site, and then when you have traffic going between sites or between an edge site and uh, a, a central deployment, uh, you can overlay that traffic and bypass the gateways.
0: Part of that overlay magic is tied to segmentation and network slicing. So I want to I want to understand that. So I, I've built this uh, central controller, and I've got my distributed nodes that are out at the edge. And somewhere, I presume in the central controller, I am going to build policies that expl- that explain to the network, this is how I need you to segment. This is how I need to do network slicing. So first of all, in this con- part of the conversation, I want to disambiguate micro-segmentation, which we've talked about on the Packet Pushers Network a lot, uh, and network slicing. For our conversation of those different things, the same thing,
1: how do they relate? So micro-segmentation is all about applying security policies at the most fine-grained point of control, where security policies are applied directly at where the workloads or the endpoints connect to the network. Network slicing is all about providing um, an isolated chunk or slice of network to a particular tenant or use case or workload. So it's a little bit more than just Uh, isolating a particular set of endpoints it's then uh, mapping those endpoints to a set of resources uh, in the underlay to ensure a consistent set of um, uh, forwarding behaviors are enforced Uh, so that can mean quality of service that can mean uh, like resiliency and redundancy maybe i provide path protection for one network slice where the other network slice is its best effort Uh, And it allows you to have that differentiation of traffic handling as well as separation of workloads and tenants.
0: And and that's what I expected you to say. You know, micro-segmentation about endpoints and what they can uh, communicate with, uh, very often enforced with an ACL at the edge, uh, right up at that host potentially – Network slicing would be more like a VRF for folks in network engineering that have worked with that, or Layer 3 VPN, where you've got a strong segmentation between networks that are sharing a common infrastructure. You could have micro-segmentation happening within a network slice. Is that fair to say, Nick?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And typically you will. Um, you'll have your micro segmented workloads. And really, that just means each endpoint has its own security policy that is uniquely enforced based on. Uh, characteristics about that endpoint that we know, because we orchestrate all of the endpoints. So we know IP addresses, MAC addresses, we know the application flows for that particular deployment. So all that comes together to inform our micro-segmentation policy. And then we also know that, say, a particular virtual network, that, that's going to map to a VRF. That VRF is super important because that's our voice signaling VRF, and we want to make sure that, that VRF has its own path through our network. So we'll map that VRF onto a set of LSPs or onto a particular segment we ensure that path and that network slice gets a consistent, high quality, resilient network forwarding behavior. So when it comes to service chaining, uh, in Contrail, that's a complete overlay concept. So we will uh, use our policies on the controller to map virtual networks and even microflows within a particular virtual network through a service instance. Those service chaining policies are enforced in the software data plane of contrail so we're going to actually control like the next top behavior of traffic as it comes either external from outside of the overlay or internal from one of the endpoints and we're going to manipulate the forwarding so that the traffic takes kind of a detour through a service instance get some uh, some sort of l7 or application layer Uh, service applied to it, and then goes on its merry way.
0: All right. So all of this was in the micro segmentation, network slicing, and service chaining. Those three things are all, in my mind, in the context of things I'm doing on the central controller as I'm building out my edge cloud infrastructure. Is that that right? Are there other things that would be happening in the central uh, mix as well?
1: No, that's about the gist of it.
0: Okay, so once I've defined those things, what those policies are going to look like as a network operator, um, what magic then happens and then pushes that down into uh, the nodes?
1: So the funky thing about orchestrated compute environments like OpenStack and Kubernetes is you're really just waiting for something to happen. And the something to happen is usually a VM gets scheduled to an endpoint. So within the controller, you're going to have all your definitions for your virtual networks, the subnets associated with those virtual networks, the policies that control which virtual networks can communicate with which other virtual networks, whether that be within the same tenant or across multiple tenants. And then if I want some of that traffic to get a service function applied to it, well, then I can use a service chain to kind of reroute the traffic through my service function first. Until a workload gets spun up, that's just sitting there waiting like a coiled spring to hop Mm. into action. Um, When a workload gets scheduled to an endpoint, uh, all of the policy configuration will get downloaded to that particular endpoint. uh, And uh, that's when traffic starts actually getting applied to these policies and, and service chains.
0: In other words, you've got a policy definition that's sitting there, as you said, like a coiled spring waiting to go. So when Kubernetes or OpenStack fire up that workload, there's got to be some communication between it and uh, Contrail to know this is the network behavior
1: that I wish to be applied to this workload. Exactly, and this is where Contrail is integrated into OpenStack via the Neutron APIs, integrated into Kubernetes via CNI, and integrated into other orchestrated compute platforms via their network abstractions so that we wait and listen for actions, um, VM instantiations usually. uh, And that's when we apply all of our policy and, and start provisioning the actual virtual networks on the software data plane.
0: Okay, got it. You mentioned services, things that I can route this traffic through for Layer 7 reasons, whatever I might have. The, now can I put any VNF I want maybe into this Layer 7 world? Uh, am I limited to a certain number of choices that's provided to me by the Edge Cloud platform? How does that work?
1: No, the uh, the only limits are your hardware platform and your imagination. So if you have uh, a deployment Of Intel NUCs, maybe you're not going to have a VPC data plane um, running for your your mobile traffic. Maybe that's going to go on some bespoke hardware with maybe some hardware offloading. The types of services that you can actually apply are broadening uh, as time goes on. So it used to be that you could only use virtual machines to provide network service functions. Um, Those virtual machines had to have kind of a certain set of forwarding characteristics. They had to, uh, you know, route the traffic, MAC addresses had to move around, all, all the usual stuff. Um, as SDN as a concept has matured, you've seen uh, more flexibility in the types of service chains that can be applied. You can have, say, like microflows, so only you know HTTP traffic takes this one path through an application firewall, whereas the rest of our traffic goes through a completely different path. Some of that traffic can be transparently bridged through a virtual network function. And I think one of the coolest evolutions in the space right now, or the the coolest development in the space right now, is the introduction of container service functions. So this takes the traditional application services delivered by virtual machines and delivers them inside of containers.
2: Mm. That might
1: not sound super exciting, but there's actually a lot of work that went in to orchestrators like Kubernetes to let it understand multi-interface pods to allow for service functions to be applied.
2: Mm. And, and this is the complexity here. You're not going to be doing this manually. You have to have some sort of control system that can do this for you.
1: Exactly. You don't want to be managing the details you don't even want to be worried about individual servers let alone workloads um, hmm. you want to have a, a common set of infrastructure that you can treat yeah,
2: you equally want, you want to do what, when you say common set of infrastructure what you mean is a generic set of infrastructure x86 yeah yeah with hard drives and storage and you know standard racks so that when you roll out you know let's say you've got 20 factories and you want to put a data center in each factory not in just in the office but in each factory to connect to the IoT nodes, you still need to orchestrate those data centers as if it was your primary data center. So the functions that VMware does for you today still need to be done in an edge data center that's hosting, you know, 20 or 30 different VMs for monitoring of the machines in your factories. And, yeah, exactly. you know, you don't want to be sitting there saying, well, I've got uh, machines in my factories from 15 different vendors, and they want to sell me 15 different servers to operate those in the new IoT driven world. You want to be able to say, here's my edge Data center here in the factory. Just put your VMs in there, isolate them, multi-tenant them. They want to have access to them remotely, so they can add value. I put that in inverted commas, but they're going to want to come in and monitor their machines in the new era because they're probably renting you the machines, not selling them to you. And you know, you, you've got a whole, got to bring all that together. This is the, tr- the major transition: is this uh, change away from. Uh, you know, limited numbers of VMs, limited numbers of services, limited amount of software to this infinite amount of software that we're going to have. And you have to control it all. You have to have your something on top of it so that you can put your thumb on, you know, when they ring up and say, my VM is not responding. You can say, well, let me check if it's up.
1: Yeah. Or let me just kill it and let it reinstantiate itself. Right. Maybe Mm -hmm. there's something wrong with the VM. So I don't need to worry about that particular VM instance. I don't, really even need to worry about that particular server hosting that VM. I can take that all out of service if there is an issue with it, and the orchestrator is responsible for instantiating my workload somewhere else on a healthy platform. And and like you said, um, you don't want to deal with all of these deployments as snowflakes. You want a Mm -hmm. common set of templates defining both the infrastructure and the services. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to add yet another buzzword to the mix, but this is going back to that whole notion of infrastructure as code. I want to express my connectivity using a simple configuration file that is portable between all of my clouds and deployments. Yeah, so so this is
2: where the container comes in. You get a standard networking interface, you get a standard uh, packaging format so that the vendors just send out container or put, you know, you go to install their app, you just pull their container directly from their repository and boom, away you go.
1: Yeah, and all of my policy about workload scheduling, about connectivity, about security, all of that's embedded with the actual service. So yeah. as you apply that service, everything that needs to, to take place to, to get that service instantiated and running is embedded with the service definition. And the infrastructure re- reacts to that and ensures that all of those connectivity, security, and storage resources are in place.
0: Nick, we've been talking through a a, a complex process in the sense that a lot of this is automated and orchestrated. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of API calls going back and forth between different systems. Um, as people are evaluating uh, Contrail Edge Cloud, thinking through the complexity, thinking through how maybe they'd apply it into their environment, are, are there things that people tend to get wrong a lot or maybe misconceptions that they come away with as they're they're evaluating this? I,
1: I think what strikes people right off the bat is just the complexity of all of this. I mean, we've, we've talked about the, and we've joked a lot about the buzzwords surrounding <laughs> all of these concepts because it, it's easy to laugh at, right? But um, the the first thing that I like to to set straight for people is these are all a bunch of very very straightforward concepts, and this goes back to like brass tacks networking, the OSI layers, right? We separate concerns at the various layers so that you don't need to worry necessarily what Ethernet's doing if I'm IP, right? Um, in all of these cloud deployments look for those same separations of concerns. There's a lot of very simple things working together to, buy, to provide a complex system. So take a look at each one of the, uh, the aspects, whether it be uh, Kubernetes or OpenStack, whether it be um, you know, Control as SDN, or um, you know, just uh, network orchestration and automation doing config manipulation, and figure out which parts of that stack make the most sense for a particular deployment.
0: Nick, like I have a few more operational questions. Um, we talked a, a lot about how I would set it up, what I would expect to happen when I'm getting things set up, setting up central policies related to uh, security, uh, network slicing, service chaining, and so on. Now I've got this thing. I'm running Contrail Edge Cloud. Um, practically speaking, how do I monitor the health of Contrail Edge Cloud or, or actually, should I be thinking of it as as clouds with with each each edge deployment each distributed node being a its own little cloud?
1: I'll definitely think about it as one cloud right because the the goal is to provide a common API surface despite the fact that all of this infrastructure is spread across a, a large geography. so okay. we want to monitor this thing as a whole, but we, we need to keep in mind that there are localized resources, so you're going to have to uh, just like you you told the orchestrator using things like availability zones or node selectors, you need to tell the infrastructure that groups of this, this stuff is is clustered together in a physical location. Once you provide your monitoring tools that insight, well, then you've got a rich set of tools you can use to monitor uh, an Edge Cloud deployment. Um, things like Contrails built-in analytics that leverages Formex. Um, this is uh, an agent-based node monitoring platform that leverages machine learning to keep an eye on what's normal in an infrastructure um, versus, you know, what's out of profile. And that helps administrators and operators react to situations before they turn into actual outages or problems. Yep. Since you
0: mentioned AppFormix, we, we did do a show on uh, AppFormix uh, all in, in the last Six months or so, I think. So if that's an interesting topic, you want to hear more about Packet Pushers, listener, just uh, go to packetpushers.net and search for Formex. it will pop up. Um, is the Formex you know, I buy that as a, as, as a bolt-on extra. Is that part of my Contrail Edge Cloud
1: purchase? Uh, there's parts of the analytics platform that are included in Contrail Edge Cloud, and then there's additional capabilities you can layer on if you need that deeper, um, closed-loop machine learning-driven automated operations platform.
0: Now, if I am rolling my own um, health platform for however you define health, and you because know, I, I want to understand how my app is being delivered, let's say, so maybe I'm using uh, grafana or you know, other common tools, can I hook into Contrail in some way and pull telemetry
1: out?: Yeah, absolutely. So Contrail has this really cool notion of being a, a flow-based. SDN platform while still providing a lot of the same sort of semantics that you'd expect from a traditional switched and routed uh, network environment. Um, But because it is flow aware, you can see all of the flows going between all of your endpoints or going out of the overlay and you get flow records just like you would from a a traditional network that you can use to troubleshoot, manage and, and operate the network. The difference being in this case is you don't need to sample those flow records because you've distributed the generation of the flow data and you can decentralize the collection of that flow data. So you can have an incredible amount of granularity from just flow records. But in SDN, there's so much more you can do because you're you're actually manipulating that traffic in a software data plane. You can very easily mirror all of the traffic. Um, So you can have uh, a software defined action as part of a policy that says, don't just forward this, make me a copy and send it over to this analyzer. That's going to give me some insight into the health of the traffic um, the direction and flow, you know, who's talking on what virtual network? and you know should that be happening or not?
0: The, what, the, there's a lot you just said there, okay. so just <laughs> on, follow up on the last thing, uh, ok. I can make it behave like a visibility fabric and route that the a copy of those packets off to whatever my tool set is and do all the things I'm used to and and comfortable with. But going back to the flow records also, Uh, What sort of a flow record is it? Is there metadata in there where I can mine, uh, I don't know, tags or something that help me understand um, in in a deep way which containers
1: are talking to which? Is it that sort of thing? So absolutely, we can uh, wrap up, or we do wrap up, I should say, all of our analytics in a header that contains a bunch of metadata from the SDN platforms. You can see things like source virtual machine, source virtual network, a whole bunch of policy information about those workloads and then you export that to the controller or the collector, and that's where you can get all of that um, extra, that rich layer of metadata. If you want to export that to a more traditional collector platform, we can export just traditional IP fix or NetFlow as well. So let's move on from, from monitoring,
0: Nick, and, and talk about um, end user experience. Uh, I guess I was alluding to that before, but... Um, I need to know things like what's the latency between my edge cloud instance and the user that's on the other end consuming this thing. How do I know that you know, latency or whatever characteristics are good enough so that I have an expectation that the user
1: experience is good as they consume that service? And this is where you can leverage combinations of uh, network slicing and path control uh, along with the analytics platforms like AppFormix and uh, bring in some in-band monitoring uh, from both the compute nodes as well as the underlay and tie all that together into a picture of the end-to-end user experience.
0: So, Nick, we've got a lot of ways that um, we can measure end-user experience. Maybe it's different than what some of us are used to, but it's actually Better Because it's correlating a whole lot of different data points from the virtual infrastructure and helping us to understand how apps are talking to one another, taking active measurements of the network and then presenting that all in such a way that we get a much better sense of what's happening from a user perspective and not just, well, my lights are green and my lights are green and then the fifth person says their lights are green and no one knows why the thing's slow. We're actually evolving using cloud technologies to a place where we, we really understand more effectively what's going on but so but nick what do you say to the, the the network engineers listening to this going but it sounds so awfully complex and different from what i'm used to and i like my green lights i don't know that i want to get into this because it sounds you know too too hard is it in fact you know hard and complex all the way through the network and and too much of a head scratching mystery to make sense of anymore or what's really happening
1: yeah so absolutely this is one of the biggest Challenges with SDN deployments, and it's it's doubly so um, when you spread that challenge across a, a broad edge of compute platforms. Um, that's how do I bring all this complex, or how do I how do I hold all this complexity in my head? How do I look at this whole deployment and have that mental map of my deployment that I used to have when I was managing switches and routers? And uh, I think it's the exact same model that we've always adopted in networking, which is to Uh, look at the problem in segments or slices and have clean interfaces between each of those layers. So we push all of the, the services, awareness, and complexity around the application delivery environment right to the edge, right into the compute. And we use a technology like Contrail to instantiate all of the connectivity and security. And we monitor the workloads from that software data plane at the edge of the network. But we can't have the the idea as application or as service owners that we're responsible just for our piece yeah. and nothing else. Right? Yeah, you can't
2: just be it like in this is, comes back to the old silo model. You can't just be, I'm the firewall firewall dudette. You know, this is the the IDS team, this is the networking team, this is the people who route. They don't do firewalls, they're never the twain show. Those days are over. Firewalls, IDSs, seams load balancers, routing, switching, impulet, they're all one thing now. And in fact, they're just a a base layer of competency. The real value happens above it. So he who can configure all those things by pulling a big lever while giving an eagle a laugh is actually going to win.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And didn't we all dream of being mad scientists when we grew up? (laughs) cackle maniacally (laughs) when the workload. And and seriously, um, Mm. I I think this is the thing that sells Kubernetes to most organizations is running kubectl scale and showing a container spinning up 100 more copies of itself and the load balancers yeah. all snap into line and start load balancing across those 100 new copies and the security yeah. policies, oh, those are there too. Um, not,
2: let's, not, let's not pretend that KubeCuddle has, hasn't got problems or that Kubernetes doesn't have a storage issue or that networking for Kubernetes is ill-defined, but that's, that's still the same problems that we had before. They've just moved to a different place.
1: Sure, but like my infrastructure. So the switches and routers that my Kubernetes nodes plug into don't need to react to a hundred new containers coming onto the network. No. So we have that we have that separation of So if
2: I screw up the networking for a handful of containers, I've only screwed up a hundred handful of containers instead of taking down the entire switching infrastructure for the thing that I'm working on.
1: Exactly and because the that, yeah, but exactly. That's the transition where the configuration lives in the majority of the, the configuration lives inside the actual compute platforms, and then the network's responsibility is just delivering packets between all of those computes and the gateway or the uplink or the internet. Right. Mm. But but critically, getting back to the operations theme, um, and the operations platform needs to work the absolute opposite way. <laughs> the operations platforms, the analytics platforms, need to tie together all of the various. Um, Uh, data and insights that it can collect from the uh, compute orchestrator, from the SDN layer, from the underlay devices. And it needs to aggregate all of that information together into kind of uh, a mean quality score for the end-to-end application. And that needs to be exposed to the application owners because in this new paradigm, the application owners actually are the infrastructure consumers. Well, I think this has been a fascinating conversation.
0: Um, Contrail is one of those topics that as we've watched it over the years, uh, there was the, the some of the rebranding to Tungsten Fabric and so on for the open source uh, variation. There's been a lot uh, there that we've seen the evolution of. And thank you for coming on the show and giving us a lot of clarity around what it is, what it can do, how it fits into this edge computing model for the specific iteration of edge cloud. Uh, where can people go and find out more if they want to put their hands on this or, uh, or so on?
1: Yeah, so uh, one of the greatest things about having an open source project at the heart of our product is that we can very easily uh, put it into people's hands. So for anyone who's curious about SDN or wants to get started on their own, I encourage you to check out tungsten.io um, for the Tungsten Fabric project. Uh, and there you can grab a copy of Tungsten Fabric that you can deploy in your own labs, uh, either with Kubernetes or open, uh, OpenStack. Uh, as well as uh, you can explore our carbide AWS sandbox and you can try out tungsten fabric in a risk-free environment.
0: Mm. (laughs) Now, Nick, are you, happen to be active? Are you on Twitter or do you blog or anything like that where
1: people can follow you? I am not socially active. No, you,
0: you are not social because because <laughs> you try to. You have work to do. You know. Yeah. 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 We know what that's all about. Let's Nick, go with that excuse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks a lot, Nick, for joining us. It's a pleasure to make your acquaintance and chat with you here on Heavy Networking. And and our thanks to Juniper Networks for sponsoring today's episode. Uh, heavy Networking is part of the Packet Pushers Network of podcasts. by and for IT engineers. If you ring Juniper up to have a discussion about Control Edge Cloud or to try out Tungsten Fabric, hey, let them know that you heard about it here. And if you only listen to heavy networking, by the way, uh, you are missing out. We've got several great podcast channels covering industry news, cloud, full stack engineering, and more. Just search for Packet Pushers anywhere that you listen to podcasts or visit our subscribe page at packetpushers.net. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.